The Athletic. Mike Chapman, welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. A new title, basically, it is the podcast formerly known as the Ornstein and Chapman Podcast. Although I was just fed up of saying my name all the time, as was David, who will still be a regular on the pod. He's on holiday somewhere at the moment. And every week I'll be joined by a selection of writers from the Athletic to bring you unrivaled access and insight into the biggest stories in football. So with us today, Adam Crafton. Sam Lee, who covers City for us, and Don Firefield, our senior writer with a focus on London. So after the longest of seasons, followed by the Euros, and we're still 10 days or so from the start of the Premier League, uh, from the players, managers, club editors, subscribers you're all speaking to, it's just about transfers, 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 isn't it, Sam? In fact, I noticed this morning you, you were ready to delete Twitter again, so it must be transfer season. Yeah, it's, it's not actually been too bad today, but it certainly is, yeah. So it's one of those days you just think, I can't be doing with all these notifications coming through. Let's just get rid of it for 24 hours or longer. Uh, do you hate it, Dom, or do you enjoy it? I quite enjoy it, but then I only get hassled by Crystal Palace supporters asking which player we're signing next. Not really the same <laughs> thing for me as it is for Sam. <laughs> Mm. Oh, yeah, but that's actually that's actually quite exciting this summer, isn't it? Well, it's a bit of a novelty, yeah, to be honest, <laughs> after the last few years. I'll take it, definitely. Um, <laughs> do you sense it's going to be a chaotic few weeks, Adam, or not? Uh, I feel like it's just building up, isn't it? I mean, as soon as one of these Kane or Grealish moves happens, you would imagine that that then becomes a domino for other, you know, for then if Tottenham have £150 million to spend or Aston Villa have £100 million to spend, then things can start moving a bit. There's been the clubs that have received money so far, so like Real Madrid receiving money from Manchester United, or well, Real Madrid need that money to cover COVID losses. So it's not really being reinvested into the market. But I think if, if Man City can get one of these over the line, then things should become a bit more interesting. And obviously Chelsea is still after Romelu Lukaku as well. So Liverpool, we still wonder, are they going to do a forward? Um, Arsenal surely need to do more than just one central defender this summer, uh, as well as La Conga. So, they, you know, I think clubs need to do business, but a few things need to happen to get it moving. Pogba's a big one. I was speaking to somebody last night about Grealish, and they were like, oh, you know, in agent in agent world, everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens with Pogba, and then that will really kick off a little merry round in itself as well. So what are they waiting for with Pogba? then Sam in agent world what are they looking at absolutely no idea um <laughs> Grealish, Grealish has been pretty full time and in in the yeah in the small gaps of spare time it's been oh yeah let's see what's going on with the England captain forcing his way out of Tottenham uh no I'm not I'm not sure what 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 they're waiting for with with Pogba I don't know if he's set on leaving I I don't know if they're just waiting for PSG to lump up some money or if United are trying to convince him to stay out I don't know what that situation is but that's just another hypothetical one that would set things off and if it's going to be a chaotic last few weeks you know that would determine it I suppose Adam they might be looking at it from a where, where it sets the market if Pogba with one year left is sold what the valuation is uh, and also then what Manchester United would do with that money because the all the rumours are United need to bring money in now before they, they spend any more if he if he stays, then then that sets barometers in other ways, wages predominantly. Yeah, it's it's quite messy now because obviously he's got one year left on his contract. He's been, you know, I think it's fair to say he's been offered renewed terms. He's not signed those terms. There was a story in the Daily Mirror a couple of weeks ago that he'd rejected 
um, a contracts offer. Neither United nor representatives of Pogba have guided on that, um, which is generally a, a reasonable indication that a story's probably accurate. Um, and, you know, United haven't given up on trying to keep him, but at the same time, Paris Saint-Germain are now working really hard to try and get him. And their decision is, do we do it this summer and pay, you know, a substantial fee? Or do we just let him wait out that contract and get him for nothing? Well, we say nothing, but it'll be Mino Raiola's agent fees combined with a huge contract in a year's time. That's what they're trying to weigh up. I think PSG's position is, you know, we know the player quite fancies it. We know that the market isn't very strong at the moment, so we're not going to have that much competition, so we might be able to afford to wait a year. And can we push Manchester United to, towards the end of this market into a position where they feel, do we really need this hanging over us for another year, going into another season of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer having questions about Paul Pogba every week? United's position's always been that, despite all the noise that surrounds Pogba, that actually, you know, he gets on with people quite well at the training ground. They... The coaching staff seems to think that he always gives his best. He doesn't seem to be actually as disruptive as maybe some of the speculation has suggested over time. And he's obviously a fantastic player. But then if he stays at the club, you're then limiting opportunities for players like Donny van der Beek, if Jesse Lingard stays at the club. So there, there are pieces that that might move around if Pogba stays um, just because of the lack of opportunities. And then if he was to sign a new contract, then that creates a whole new expectation in terms of other people renewing their own contracts in terms of the salary structure. Uh, when we hear Dom about Dominic, uh, Dominic, when we hear Dom about domino effects, get that right eventually. Do you genuinely think that that is the case lower down? You know, I know, I know. Obviously, if City sign Grealish, then Villa will need players, and if if City sign Tottenham, then Tottenham will need players. But at the moment, what City do with Grealish and Kane isn't necessarily affecting. Crystal Palace or, or Norwich or Watford, is it really? It might trickle down further down the pyramid, I guess, or down the division. I mean, you could argue that uh, that Villa may need an influx of money. Well, the Villa actually got a lot of money anyway, um, but but they, they they may they may then go out and and sign James Ward Prowse from Southampton. That so then Southampton would be on the mark in the market for a midfielder. Um, I, I don't know whether whether they target a a rival Premier League club or someone at the top of the championship maybe to, to fill that void. I mean, it, it does. Yeah, there is there are knock-on effects, definitely. Um, so what happens in, in the, the elite of the elite, yeah, it does have an effect on even probably the, the teams at the top of the championship and those that are, are about to embark on a, on a football league season this weekend. Where it becomes more interesting is when you go beyond England, a lot of money, money isn't really being spent. And... What I think what we're seeing this summer is just the strength of Premier League broadcasting deals, the fact that Premier League clubs have been able to essentially get through almost 18 months without full matchday income or any matchday income whatsoever um, and still spend money. And that simply isn't the case abroad. And clubs like Barcelona and PSG have done business this summer, but most of it's been free transfers and then you know creative ways of getting around the, the wage structures. So even, you know, people are saying Paris Saint-Germain, look at the business they've done. Well, yeah, but three of them have been on, on Bosman deals and Barcelona have done Depay and Aguero on Bosman deals and are st- still struggling to tie Lionel Messi down. So I think we're fine sort of in the Premier League and those clubs like Palace who have still managed to spend money. But I think what you're seeing is far less investment 
around the continent. And that will probably re uh, reflect itself again in the performances in the Champions League, where we had two English clubs in the Champions League final last year. Uh, let's uh, drill down into Kane and Grealish then. Where do you want to start, Sam? Does it make any, does it make any difference? Uh, yeah, let's go with Kane. Let's go with Kane first. Grealish, okay. is, a, Grealish right. is a very, very weird one. Let's go with Kane first. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, there's a T. So the very weird one that is Grealish to come. From Manchester City's perspective, we'll get Tottenham's in a, in a minute with Dom. From City's perspective, where is this at? Yeah, and it will be important to get the Tottenham thing because it's seen, there's very much two sides to the story. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start by saying City are pretty confident that it can happen, but I'm very conscious that Spurs are very determined that it won't. But yeah, from the City point of view, um, yeah, Kane's spoken to I think we have to call it a, a senior City player, not English, obviously, because he'd be speaking to loads of them all summer anyway. But he's spoken to yeah at, at least one of the senior City player about the move. Um, over the, over the weekend, City were like, okay, well, he's not going to go training. He doesn't want to train again. He doesn't want to play for Spurs again. And he wants to make it happen again. Tom will give us all the, the other side about how that makes Levy more determined, I guess. But that's where it's at for City. Um, when that story came out and he was on the front page of the Sun the other week, which was you know quite unusual in the football transfer world, um, the only thing City had to say about it was, we're not going to pay 160 million, which is quite predictable. City were kind of very careful about the fees that are attributed to them, which will be harder this summer because, you know, they're going north of 100 million twice if they get their way. Um, I think they go to about 130 for Kane, but um, we, again, we'd have to see if that's enough. Um, Christ, would they? Sorry, I think <laughs> would so. they? I think oh, so. Blimey. Wow. The top estimate I'd heard was 215 for Kane and Grealish. And obviously if Grealish is 100, then that would be 115 for Spurs. But then there's, there's been a bit more chat last few days about 130. Um, and the other thing is, I don't think Guardiola doesn't want anyone else. So if it doesn't come down, if they don't get Kane, maybe, you know, Cheeky Bagheera's time, the sporting director says, look, come on, we need this for the squad. And, you know, Danny Ings, blah, blah, blah. But that's hypothetical, I'm not sure. But as far as Guardiola's concerned, it's like, bring me Harry Kane. We're not thinking about anybody else. Let's just get it done. And they, they think there's a good chance of it happening, whereas obviously the rest of the world think there's absolutely not. So it will be very interesting to see how it does pan out. And Kane's decision not to go training, and again on Tuesday, he's not showing up again. That's a, you know that's designed to force the issue a bit. Uh, that, is that straight cash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there was a conversation earlier on about, look, we've got all these players who wouldn't mind leaving. Uh, do you, like, would you be interested in any of them? And I think, I think the response was just, well... We don't want to sign him anyway, so forget it. And I think, and all, but I'll be, you know, Raheem Sterling, Bernardo Silva, like with the greatest respect in the world, would they want to go to Tottenham? Would the wages be there? Would, would you know, would they be the same? Uh, I think a lot of Spurs fans are mentioning they were quite like Laporte because he's somebody who would be open to a transfer, but I don't know if that would solve a problem for City. They're that because when they were thinking about Laporte earlier in the year, when he went to them at the start of the year and said, if these, this doesn't improve, I want to go. They were thinking, well, we'll get 50 million for you and we'll spend 50 million on a replacement. And then that's just, you know, one in, one out, fine. But if it was part of the Kane deal, it's like they'd have to come up with a fourth centre-back from somewhere. <laughs> and I'm not sure that would strictly help. But I think, yeah, straight cash. Okay, you can't imagine very quickly, Adam, you can't imagine players at the Premier League champions who are in a Champions League final be agreeing to be part of a, all of those internationals, by the way, that were mentioned, you know, Sterling, Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, Emmerich Laporte, agreeing to be part of what, what is a rebuild at Tottenham? I mean, it is, it's even more of a rebuild if Harry Kane goes. Absolutely. Fancy dropping out to the UEFA Conference League, mm. guys. I mean, <laughs> that's essentially the offer, isn't it? Um, and, you know, fancy joining the club that went through about 15 managers before they landed on Nuno Espirito Santo, who they didn't want in the first place, and have now ended up with, you know, a very good manager. But it's not a club that, you know, if I'm a top player, that I'm looking at thinking I'm going places this summer. 
Um, so of course, I think that would that would be difficult. I think the fascinating thing from Kane's perspective, in terms of you know skipping training for two days, players only do that when they know that the buying club is ready to spend the money on them. Um, you know, when I think back to players like Thibaut Courtois. Diego Costa, Romelu Lukaku, I think they all missed training sessions in order to try and push a move. They knew there was a club on the other end of that deal who had the money waiting and were prepared to do it. Now, Harry Kane had to play a lot of this out quite publicly this summer. He did that big interview before the European Championship with Gary Neville, where he basically made clear that he wanted to leave the club this summer. Then there's been a trickle, you know, there's been a trickle of stories. I mean, we were reporting it as early as I think April it was when when our colleagues were writing it. So what that what that tells me is one that Harry Kane must know that a club is prepared to spend the money, but two, the com- whatever conversations he's had, if any, with Daniel Levy and Tottenham haven't gone the way that he wants them to go, because you only take this public when you can't sort it out privately, and it is slight, you know it's sli- it can slightly appear to be the act of a desperate person, you know, to to go this public to start breaking your con- breaching your contract. And it's going to be really interesting, you know, to see the way Daniel Levy deals with it. I know people will be saying, and I've probably said this myself over the last few weeks, or, you know, there's only one winner in Harry Kane against Daniel Levy when it comes to negotiating. But if you look back at players like Gareth Bale, Luka Modric, Dimitar Berbatov, Michael Carrick, they did all leave in the end. You know, it was hard going and it was tough and it was relentless to get out of the door. But he does let you go in the end. I think that's going to be, it's just going to be fascinating over the next few weeks. And what's brilliant is the first match of the season is Tottenham against Manchester City. I mean, how did that happen? I mean, what are the <laughs> chances of that? Uh, Dom, where are Tottenham at? I don't think their stance has changed. I mean, they're £150 million from a foreign club might persuade them possibly maybe to have a look and consider it. But £100 million from a domestic rival, albeit one that clearly competing in slightly different level to them, they're not going to countenance at the moment. As Adam says, things may change over the the weeks ahead as as, as the antipathy sort of becomes even more entrenched. But I, this, this is a legacy of this weird concept of gentlemen's agreements that, that seems to happen in, in some transfers. It was the same with, um, with Wilfred Zaha a few years back. And actually... Surprise, surprise, Wilfred Zaha's deal, uh, which involved this gentleman's agreement, was also struck by the same agency that struck Kane's deal with the gentleman's agreement. And, and that agency will argue that they actually got a blooming good deal out of it. They got 200 grand a week for Kane and 150 grand a week for Zaha at clubs that don't win trophies, which isn't bad going. But in terms of long-term ambitions and where these players want to go next, it really binds, it ties them down. I mean, it's it's... It's been the end for, for Zaha's ambitions at Crystal Palace. I mean, he can't he can't get out of, of, of Palace. And and it may well be that Kane suffers the same fate ultimately if, if Levy just sticks to his guns. I wanted to add there's I'll just check in my phone as we're going through this. There's a bit of a suggestion that Kane might go back to training towards the end of the week, which is interesting. Because if this is brinkmanship, then it's not been very successful, I guess. Because like, like I was saying at the start, you know, City were under the impression certainly over the weekend that he was like, right, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not playing for them again. <laughs> and now if all of a sudden he's like, okay, let's go back in at the end of the week, then it doesn't it doesn't send a great message, does it? We'll have to see how that one pans out. But there is a wider point there. And, I, I, and I'm fairly sure it was Jamie Carragher who said this around the time, Dom, that Kane signed his his last contract in 2018. He signed, 
you know, to sign a six-year deal in 2018 when he was so he would have been 24, 25, when 20, so to sign a six-year deal at 25, you're t- you you've you've just tied yourself in to to all your peak years and not giving yourself a, a get out at at 28 without having something written into that deal yeah without having something written into yeah. it and and ridiculously long term contracts which 6 years is in football i don't understand why players sign them but I, I, I mean I, I just i know all security and if you get injured and this that and the other but well i suppose at the time tottenham were competing at a slightly different level. They, you could argue that they were they were they were competing at the top end of the division, the Champions but, League. But if he signed three years, Tottenham won't go go no, at the true, end of three years. True. Oh no, actually, do you know what? We'll 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 move you on. I guess two hundred grand a week, six years. That's a big lump of money there. That's that's not a bad guarantee for, for as you say, for your prime years. And uh, I, I look, the club has changed in that period since. I mean, they they certainly weren't contemplating games against. Pacos de Ferreira or Lahn at that stage when when that deal was was signed, um, and it and it will yeah it, it's it'll haunt Kane the fact that he he agreed to that in the same way that it still haunts Zaha. Adam, it's a bit like I don't know eating ten cheeseburgers and then wondering why you've got fat, and that's what Kane's done by by signing this by signing this contract. But I, where, where, where I have some sympathies, you know, situations can change, you know. If, Deli Ali, for example, might be quite relieved he's on a long-term contract at Spurs, you know, at the moment because things change for him quite dramatically in a way that you would never have really foreseen in 2017, 2018. Footballers can find themselves in those situations. What's interesting, and probably only Harry Kane can answer this, is, you know, was he actually thinking in 2018, I only ever want to play for Tottenham? It's my club. We're, in, we're you know, we've got Mauricio Pochettino. We're building a great team moving into a new stadium, um, got to the Champions League final the year after, we've been in a couple of title races, and this is it for me. What, and, and maybe it's actually, maybe that was what he was thinking at the time, and it's only maybe over the past year and a half or so where Spurs have you know, really fallen off a cliff relative to where they were three or four years ago, that maybe he just thought, actually, you know, I'm getting to a point and, all those people who were saying when I was 23, 24, that I'm going to have to leave to win things. Yeah, I now get it. And maybe, you know, he just made a mistake perhaps in, in signing that contract. But, you know, he may well have been incredibly genuine in 2018 thinking, I'm a Tottenham fan. We've got a good team. We've got a good manager. Let's do it. And now it's changed. And he's, he's in a really difficult situation. It's going to be really interesting to see the way that the fans respond to him. You know, ultimately, he's still their best player. But, you know, I think if this was to go beyond a week, that then becomes really disruptive and it becomes, you know, a really significant issue. And I don't think there'll be that many fans who have major sympathy. You know, when you've signed a long-term contract, you know, the club, who are the club going to find this summer to replace him that, that comes anywhere close? And and it does become a legacy issue. I think that's something Jamie Carragher said yesterday. You know, it, it's his club and he will want to go back to that club after he retires and have a nice reception. And I think that was the thing that kept Steven Gerrard at Liverpool in the end, you know, when he nearly went to Chelsea, it was that fear of, will I ever be able to come back here without getting slaughtered? One other aspect of it, and, and Adam's mentioned the fans there, but his teammates, quite quite interesting to, to know what they're thinking. I, I spoke with a, with a former player yesterday um, in, in, for a piece in, in preparation or about these sort of transfer sagas and asked him, 
how teammates react to to knowing that a talisman within their dressing room wants out and is desperate. He's pushing, pushing, pushing for a, for a move. And, and and he was saying that actually there'll be an awful lot of empathy there. There'll be almost support for for this stance. I mean, they they won't want him to go because they'll realise that it leaves a massive void in their in their team. But the reality is that they they can put themselves in his shoes and there'll actually be a groundswell of sympathy for what he's going through. And actually, yeah, fair enough. If he, if he doesn't show up at, at training, I can sort of understand that. And I can see why that, why he's doing that and why he's pushing. I and mean, this is a chance to go to, to the Premier League champions, to, to the Champions League finalists, to a team that's clearly showing huge, huge ambition in the transfer market this summer, not least with the England captain, but also with Jack Grealish as well. So amongst his club mates, weirdly, they may be thinking, yeah, good, fair play, Harry. You're, you're making, you're doing the right thing here. And which, again, is at odds to what the supporters and certainly the hierarchy of that club would expect. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, let's move on to Grealish. Why is this a weird one then, Sam? This is weird in just kind of journalism terms. Basically, as soon as there's an agreement or there's some kind of big complication, it will explode and then it's like, right, this is what's been going on. This is this is the parts that are moving and this is what this is what people want to do and this is everything that's in place. This is what needs to be resolved. It's weird in the sense that there's a lot of info. We could talk for much longer on Grealish and on Kane, but it's like we kind of got to play the game a little bit slightly on that one because it kind of blew up on Thursday night as far as we were concerned. Friday morning, there was the report in the Telegraph about the £100 million bid. And we were like, yeah, fine with that. I think the mail said on Saturday morning, it's a clause, fine with that. I mean, there may be a bit of semantics there, whether it's a clause or an agreement, but a proper agreement. And it's not like a, it's not a cane when it's a proper, it would be a proper agreement. But, you know, now it's Tuesday, nearly Tuesday, well, it's Tuesday lunchtime, no agreement. It's getting to the stage now where it's like, well, what are we, what are we saying about this? What can we say about this? Where exactly is it? And obviously in the meantime and in the silence, not necessarily from us, but there's not really been too many updates in the media in general since Saturday lunchtime. Um, you know, there's been, the, it's, it's got weird because Villa are a, a training camp in London and there's just, there's, they're in a hotel and people are staying at the hotel and they're watching them train. Um, there's Villa fans at the hotel, you know, recording him, kind of signing autographs, having pictures or whatever. There was a video yesterday of him speaking to the, the Villa chief, uh, to the sporting director, all, all on Twitter. Like every, it seems like every hour or so. And there was, you know, when, when he was having pictures taken with the fans, you had people in the background going, don't go to city, blah, blah, blah. Don't, don't do this, don't do that. And he was just kind of like, just ignoring it, basically. There was a report from a, an apparently very well-connected NFL writer in the States last night that um, breaking news, Jack Aurelius is going to stay at Villa. And somebody messaged me saying, uh, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's very well-connected to owners of NFL clubs. And I, think he, and I think he might know the owners of Villa. But then, me personally, I'm in a very weird situation there where you think you're hearing all this stuff about, oh, maybe he's going to stay. And is there a delay because he's thinking of staying? And Villa fans have been putting money on it to the extent that the odds on him staying at Villa are now shorter than they are on him going to City. And you start thinking, is this right? But then it's a very weird situation to be in because I'm very sure. I had a conversation with somebody last night, and I, this is probably revealing too much, but let's just say as far as I know, 
Grealish isn't having second thoughts right now about moving to City. As far as I know, he's not at training because he's saying, come on, lads, we're staying. The move is still the move. You know, the bid's been made. It should trigger this agreement. Grealish still wants to make the move. Um, And, you know, there were delays for various reasons, which we'll go into when we can. Um, And that's why it's weird. That's why it's frustrating. I know some people will just not get the idea whatsoever that there's information that can't be reported or whatever. And look, it's as, as frustrating for me as it is for anyone else more so, but um, that's kind of where we're at with it. It's a, it's a weird situation. It's a very weird situation. And I think you're throwing to the mix, the, the love that Greenish has got for the club and coming through since the age of six and all that kind of stuff. And, but also the fact that um, he's been linked with moves in the past and he's not gone. So you've got a situation where Villa fans are thinking, well, we've been there before and it's not going to happen. Like last year he's linked, he was linked to Man United and he signed a new contract, yeah. but, if you actually think about it the other way, he thought he was going to Man United. United signed Johnny van der Beek without them really knowing about it. And then Grealish was off and he signed a new contract seemingly with this agreement in it. So he could go if they got a big offer and now they have got a big offer. So he's ready to, you know, he's been ready to make that move. He's been ready to make a big move for a couple of years and now now it's come around. And if you put a clause into a contract for a hundred million, they've the agents and Grealish are either very lucky or very good to have been able to convince probably the one club willing to pay that kind of fee this summer. Although, having said that, City's previous transfer record is 63 million. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they're, they're willing to make this big leap to get Jack, Jack Grealish on board and they're working very hard behind the scenes to kind of unblock things. So is he leaving or not? He <laughs> should be. He should be. Yeah, it's like I got into a, a, a big thing with Villa fans last week just because I did an article on where he would fit in at City. And, but... At the end of the day, I was convinced rightly that, you know, we've got enough info that it, there's a very real chance that he goes to City. Um, and I used all of that info that, that I've got and others have got um, to just literally say the word advanced. I said the move is at an advanced stage, tried to, just to try to say it's an advanced stage. So that's why we're doing this article. But Villa fans kind of wanted to, like, demanded, why is it advanced? Why? How can you say that? There's been nothing in the media about it. Like, Grealish wants to stay. We've got rich owners. We've got ambitious owners. There's no reason for him to leave. And it's like, so they were very annoyed about that and I tried to explain and then it just kind of blew up a bit um, and I thought I'll try and explain a bit about transfers and how they work and all this this kind of thing and then end of the week I kind of got challenged to like a charity bet so a Villa fan said put your money where your mouth is then if he stays at Villa you have to pay a grand to a charity if he goes to City and this, this guy was saying I'll pay a grand to charity and I was like that's completely beside the point like I'm not I, I'm, I'm telling you now there's a very good chance that Jack Grealish will sign for Manchester City, but transfers fall through all the time. Like I'm not, I'm not going to put a grand of my own money on something panning out as expected. And as we've seen over the, since then, it's been very complicated. But we've also seen what I was saying, and this sounds very arrogant, but I knew I was right because I wouldn't have said it otherwise. Like you know, Villa fans are saying, "Oh, it's for clicks," or you know, they're trying to drum up into it. Like it's just that—that that was the situation. You know, he's keen on the move to City. City are trying to buy him. You know, Villa. I don't know, I guess, would have to sell eventually. That was the situation. So I was like, I'm not going to make this bet on something happening in the future. But if there was a market for what's happening right now, is my information right? I would absolutely put a grand on it, but I'm not going to bet on something that's happened in the future. Uh, and, it, and it just got a bit out of hand then. It was just kind of, nobody could kind of understand why I was saying it was advanced. And then obviously the next day, there was a £100 million bid and it kicked off. Adam has a look on his face, which can only describe as... Uh, one of being maybe relieved that he's not involved in this story. The thing that I find most fascinating about the whole Grealish, Kane, City stuff is Man City have basically spent the last few years never going beyond 
they've always had a bit of a thing that, oh, we don't spend more than Man United have spent on a single player. So they didn't get go sort of head-to-head in the end with Sanchez and Fred and Harry Maguire. They just sort of let United pay what you know many people at the time considered over the odds for those players. Um, and they would often just sign sort of better players from abroad, um, you know, from abroad, cleverly scouted. Whereas this time around, they've just sort of looked at the Premier League and gone, you're brilliant, you're brilliant, and we're going to get you. Um, and it's a re- it seems like a real step change in their policy compared to the last few years. Obviously, they've always spent money, but it's always been, you know, a £60 million, pound, you know, 60 million pound right back, a £60 million pound left back, another £60 million pound winger. But this time, they've just... They've just gone, here's the two most famous players in England. Let's go and sign them. Um, and I'm a bit surprised by it, just because, you know, if it comes off, brilliant. But what if it, you know, actually, what if they don't get either of these guys? What's the plan? Is there a plan if that doesn't happen? And also, these are the kind of signings that you don't get a pre-season with, with these players because they're so dragged out and they're so hot, they're such hard work. And it also creates a lot of uncertainty in terms of those players they need to get out of the club. So, you know, if you're trying to sell maybe Bernardo, and I know there's been stories about Sterling, although they seem to be a, a little bit more relaxed now after the Euros, and Gabby and Gabby Jesus, these kind of players, it's it's quite difficult to, to sort of get that cycle going when, when you're dealing with players who are, you know, so wedded to their clubs in terms of historically coming through the academies and also with owners that are just determined not to sell them. So w- what do you think, Sam, is the reason that City have changed that policy quite dramatically? One of the things that Premier League clubs are suspicious of is Brexit. And they think there may be, at some point in the next year or 18 months, more of a a quota for British players. Uh, And then can you imagine how much Greece would cost if that was the case? Um, Or, you know, you end up buying, you know, in that kind of second tier English player market, you know, there's only so many English players who are good enough to play for Man City. So maybe they're getting ahead of the game there. Another thing is, look, it's the last two years of Pep's contract and maybe he stays again. But if he stays, it will have to be going well. And they've just won the title. And look, at the end of the last season, after they lost the Champions League final, but I would have written it had they won it, a lot of players are kind of unhappy with their game time and how, how it had gone. And it would have been the same if, even if they'd won. And that was the remarkable thing, as far as I was concerned, that there was kind of, kind of a lot of discontent within the dressing room, but they managed to keep playing so well all season. It's it's not a situation you normally associate with dressing room and arrest. Normally it's down tools the manager goes, but it was obviously quite the opposite on the pitch. But City realised they need to make a bit of a squad refresh. They've obviously just won the title. They know that complacency can set in. And say they didn't shake up the squad to a significant extent. And maybe Kane and Grealish is beyond what they normally would do anyway. But if they didn't shake up the squad and refresh that dynamic in the dressing room where you've got players coming back who were like, oh, this guy again you wouldn't necessarily win the Premier League title again. We know how difficult that is. And in fact, only City, you know, have done it in the last 10 years. And then if they don't win the title this year and they, just, they don't have a good season, then you're going into Pep's last year of his contract and the start of it would be the start of last season was where, you know, he's down and everyone's like, oh, what's going on? Is he going to sign this? He's going to sign that. And all of a sudden you've got people going, oh, he only won three Premier League titles in eight years or whatever it would be. And, and you'd have the, the conversation would be, is that good enough? Did they win the Champions League? Blah, blah, blah. So I think it's just, they've got a real opportunity here where they are at the top, but there's a bit of discontent they need to stamp out. They need to really consolidate that, get Pep out on a bang. And maybe, you know, maybe this is an easy thing to say around the club, but maybe, you know, Cheeky, the sporting director from Barcelona, maybe Ferran Soriano, the sporting director, 
um, sorry, CEO previously at Barcelona. Maybe he goes with Pep as well. And maybe they all go out on a bang. And this is the kind of insurance policy. It's by the two, you know, most famous, exciting, talented players in the Premier League and just say, right, well, we've ended up with six Premier League trophies, one Champions League, three FA Cups, six Carabao Cups just in Pep's era alone. So I think that's the motivation, maybe the Brexit element, but just the thing that they're absolutely not resting on their laurels now. There is there is still a way that the last two years of Pep's contract could go in such a way that people would be saying, oh, was it worth it? Which for me would be a silly debate, but it would be a debate nonetheless. So I think they're just kind of consolidating their top place at the top. And at the end of the day, that's what every club has to do. It's just that, you know, City have got that famous combination of money and ideas, which Arsene Wenger said, that they're able, that you know, they know what they need to do after they win the title, which they didn't do in 2012 when Aguero scored the last minute winner and they ended up getting Mike on and Scott Sinclair and Jack Rodwell. They've learned from those mistakes. They're consolidating it. And obviously they've got um, they've got the finances to pull off two of the most spectacular transfers ever in English football. Let's just end with a, with a third £100 million transfer, shall we? I mean, just throwing money around here. Uh, Chelsea and Romelu Lukaku, Dom? Yeah, they've had a couple of bids turned down already this summer. Um, there were suggestions last night that a third bid had gone in. Just for just for Lukaku or for just as many centre-forwards as they can put bids in for? These are all Lukaku-related. I think they've... I think they've they given up on Haaland this summer and, and Lukaku was, was always the... The backup to to that um, a player they obviously know well. He's got a great pedigree in terms of of the of the Premier League. 113 goals and 252 Premier League appearances for for four clubs, in, including Chelsea, in there. So you'd imagine that if he did come back to England, he'd hit the ground running. Uh, he he knows what what the league entails. Um, the problem they've got is that for all Inter's financial issues. Lukaku is the player that they want to keep. They're, they're more than happy to sell a, a Lauturo Martinez. Uh, Arsenal have been mentioned with him. He probably costs up to £50 million. Um, but Lukaku, no, he's not for sale. So, he, so at the moment they're resisting and, and that has the potential to drag on, not least because Lukaku has made clear that he's perfectly content to stay at Inter Milan. Um, I, I think at some stage he, he would like to come back to England and I think Chelsea would be given his uh, as a a kid he was a Chelsea fan so to speak he was more obsessed with Didier Drogba in particular than than maybe the club itself but but um, I think he feels that there is a certain amount of unfinished business to be to be done at at Chelsea and and uh, he'd like to to maybe put a few things right there but I think it's going to be protracted it's going to be drawn out and it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes because at the moment Chelsea will probably start the season with Timo Werner and uh, uh, playing up top. And his preseason so far suggests that he hasn't really changed a lot from last year. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna create more than he scores, really. Um, and I, I, you know, it feels as if Chelsea is a club. I mean, Sam's spoken there about capitalising on success, and, and Chelsea have definitely been guilty in the past of not capitalising on Champions League wins and Premier League wins in recent years. The year after Conte won the title in 2017, that summer was one of the most poisonous in terms of the politics around Chelsea and then and Conte's disillusionment with the, the way that the, the, the recruitment occurred at Stamford Bridge. This is a chance for Chelsea to build on the momentum that Tuchel 
Tuchel generated at the end of last season and winning the Champions League, etc., and make themselves contenders. So they have to go out there and make a splash. And as it speaks at the moment, as we stand at the moment, they've raised about £60 million in sales, but they haven't bought anyone. So, you know, there is a bit of pressure on them to to get uh, Kunde in from Sevilla to play at centre-half and and a striker. And their striker of choice is Romelu Lukaku. I wonder if they'll look for a stopgap, Adam, if they can't get him for, for a season and then revisit. Well, particularly because they've let um, Olivier Giroud go to AC Milan, um, which you would presume they did thinking that someone's coming in. Um, I mean, Lukaku was, he was actually, before he went to Manchester United, he was meant to be going to Chelsea that time around and you know I think the way it was framed by Chelsea at the time was that the demands of his then agent Mina Raiola were too high and they weren't prepared to go to to, to go to those limits but I think there was also a little bit of a discord between how much Antonio Conte the Chelsea manager at the time wanted Lukaku and perhaps how much the club were prepared to spend on him um, because Conte was desperate to get him and he ended up obviously with Alvaro Morata instead which didn't which didn't go as, as well um, I, I think this time around, Lukaku, you know, we've seen in the past when he was leaving Manchester United for Inter, he is prepared to force a move. You know, he went to, he let, he stopped training with Manchester United. He went very public um, about his concerns. This time, he doesn't seem really that unhappy. So I can't see him forcing that move, which means that Chelsea have to force their move with their checkbook. Um, and if Inter Milan don't want to sell. And the players, yeah, I'd like to, but I'm not desperate to. That's going to cost probably, you know, beyond 100 million again. Um, which Chelsea have, you know, Chelsea have that. They've raised it comfortably this summer. Um, you know, we know the owner's got the money. It, you know, in terms of a net spend, it wouldn't be a huge issue for Chelsea, I don't think. And then, you know, you start looking at backups, but who is there really around that's, uh, you know, of that sort of Giroud level that, that's going to come cheap? I suppose there's Danny Ings. Perhaps, but you know, you look at that Chelsea team, they've got all the ingredients in and amongst the defence midfield goalkeeper now, and you just look at them and think you need a proper centre forward. So go and get that centre forward. But it's obviously not as not as straightforward as that. The Chelsea situation is fascinating this summer because they are as a club that's hoarded players mm. for, for the last five, six years, um, they're now in a position where they, they desperately need to shift an, an awful lot of players who are in their mid to late twenties um, and who are not, who do not have futures at, at Chelsea football club. I'm, I'm thinking Marcus Alonso, I mean, Ross Barkley's still there. David Zappacosta's still there. Michi Batshuayi is still is there. Is Danny Drinkwater still there? Danny Drinkwater is still there. He came on against Arsenal in the week. Tiamu, uh, Tiamu, Bakayoko, Baba Rahman. I mean, it's, it's, it's frightening. Kennedy's still there. I mean, the, these are, and that's even before you get to people like Ruben Loftus Cheek, yeah. who is on massive, massive wages and and didn't really tear it up at, at Fulham last season in a relegation battle. So you're seeing all these guys are sort of stagnating at Chelsea. And it's actually starting to affect now the kids, the promising kids, the, the, you know, the ones that they really wanted to build their future around. And, and they're, they're all looking at this situation and thinking, I've no, no pathway there. No pathway into the first team whatsoever. So I'm going. And Liveramento's departure for for Southampton this week um, just maintains that sort of drip feed of, of talent away from the club. And that's that's not what Chelsea's been about of late. And, and they're really, really paying for some poor recruitment um, really around the time they last won the title. In those years subsequently, the Ross Barkley 
um, Danny Drinkwater windows uh, the summer and, and the winter that year. And how they deal with that in a market where, where a lot of clubs don't have money, um, don't have an awful lot of money to, to pay the, the prices that Marina Granisky used to quote them for these players. And similarly, it can't match these wages. No, that, I would have thought that'd be the biggest point. Even if you are interested in Ross Barkley or Danny Drinkwater, you aren't. I would imagine no the, the level of the club that would be interested in them are not going to be able to come anywhere near what no. Chelsea have been paying. Them. So does that does that mean that Chelsea then have to almost supplement the wage at the at the or to pay these players just to leave? I mean, give them try and try and make up the difference. In the, I mean, it's it's a very very complicated situation, but it'll be fascinating to see how it pans out over the next month. Around Europe, you have a lot of big clubs desperate to shift players, but no market to shift them to, and you know it's what we're. Real Madrid are, are desperate to try and raise funds to because they've dis- decided, despite having no defenders, that all they need is Kylian Mbappe. So they're going to, you know, they are desperately trying to shift out players um, and players like, you know, good you know, players with big names, Isco, Gareth Bale, uh, Eden Hazard, uh, Luka Jovic, players that two years ago clubs would have been flocking to sign and they cannot get takers because of the scale of the wages at these big clubs for players who have become squad players and nothing more than that, really, um, at, at major clubs. And Chelsea are having that problem. You know, Liverpool have been trying to sell Jordan Shakiri for two, over two years now. Um, Man United has still got you know, Phil Jones and Jess, you know, Jesse Lingard has sort of come back in almost by accident after having a good, a good loan spell, even if they wanted to sell a, you know, a Donny van der Beek this summer, which they don't. You know, he's got a six-year contract and probably earns over 100 grand a week. So... When when these clubs sign players who were all very excited about at the time, but then become squad players, and then a pandemic comes along, it's very very difficult to reshape your squad. Um, and PSG are having the same because then you know they want to try and do um, Pogba, but they need to get players out, and there's no one who can afford to sign. Mauro Riccardi for £50 million this summer. Uh, we will leave it there. Keep your phone on, Sam. I think it might might buzz a few times. Far too much. That's, I can't I can't delete Twitter actually today because some of the information comes via DMs. So right. <laughs> it, has to, it has to stay on. It has to stay on. Uh, we will leave it there. Sam, Adam, Dom, uh, thank you. If you're not a subscriber and want to read any of the articles we've discussed today, then head to theathletic.com slash football pod and you get a 33% discount off the price of an annual subscription. There's also a great conversation on there between Alan Shearer and Callum Wilson. So theathletic.com slash football pod for a 33% discount off the price of an annual subscription. Uh, I'll be back on Thursday on this feed with Matt Slater when we'll have the return of the Business of Sport podcast. See you then. Bye for now. The Athletic.